Welcome to Blackbird, episode number 66. My name is James, and today I am thrilled to bring to you my conversation with Rich Lewis. Rich is a practitioner of centering prayer, which is sort of the next step in the ancient Christian practice of contemplative prayer and sort of the global spiritual practice of silent meditation. In the West, this practice dates all the way back to Plato, at the very least, and I'm sure he was writing about an already established practice as well. Centering prayer is a little bit different. I mean, it's very similar to like transcendental meditation or the Christian practice of contemplative prayer, but it also incorporates daily affirmations and some of the more kind of modern or even postmodern practices that we 21st century individuals have come to appreciate. I'm certainly going to be adding this to my sort of daily ritual, maybe in a modified form. And I think that you will get at least a little bit out of this conversation. So whether you're Christian or not, spiritual or not, I think that this conversation with Rich will benefit you and might even give you another little arrow in your quiver leading towards personal betterment and towards learning to fly. Before we get started, speaking of learning to fly, head over to blackbirdpodcast.com. Sign up for the mailing list with your email address. Sign up for the premium feed with $7 a month or $70 a year. If you sign up for one of those paid options, not only will you be helping me out and getting the satisfaction of knowing that you are assisting in this project, you will also get early access to all of these interviews. The interview that you're hearing today was recorded on September 23rd, and it is not being released until the middle of October. So that's several weeks. You'll also get the pre-show banter where the guests and I get to know each other or even in some cases dig into some pretty deep topics that aren't covered on the public version of the show. So if that appeals to you, $7 a month, $70 a year, head to blackbirdpodcast.com to sign up today. And with that, here is my conversation with Rich Lewis. Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, totally. So you're kind of a guru, but not really on centering prayer. Can you go ahead and, I guess, first of all, just kind of introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. So my, my name is Rich Lewis. Um, I guess for the last, I've been practicing centering prayers since June of 2014. So obviously I'm, I'm more than just a centering prayer practitioner, but that's really obviously why I'm on your show. So I have a site mm-hmm. called Silence Teaches. Dot com and, and it it focuses primarily on centering prayer and what it is and how you do it. Um, so I've been at centering prayer, I guess, for what is that, seven and a half years or so, and and kind of just have led it of as part of our, inter, our chat. I'm sure we will discuss mm-hmm. how I even found it and why I'm doing it and what it is. But basically, I have a website. Um, it's about five years old, devoted to centering prayer. Um, and then I've just let it evolve. So from there, I, I, I teach it in the community in front of small and large groups, spiritual directors or churches or centering prayer groups. I, I talk. I, I have a book uh, that came out a year ago called Sitting with God, A Journey to Your True Self Through Centering Prayer. And then I do one-on-one coaching um, with, with different people, whether they're new to centering prayer, existing practitioners, or even clergy that need help with their own self-care. So I do some coaching and I do a lot of talking in front of different groups. 
and giving talks, whether it's spiritual directors centering prayer groups, churches, or even uh, I did a talk not too long ago in front of uh, what's called the Presbury, and it was a bunch of ministers that represented churches in, in, in San Diego that were Presbyterian churches, and I came in and talked to them about centering prayer and why it would be important to them in terms of their own self-care. So that's a little bit about me. I've just started practicing centering prayer and then kind of let it evolve and, and, and grow into not just a website, but into all of those things. And, and I'll continue to let it kind of evolve and grow into what's the best way to spread the centering prayer seed and, and share it. Cool. What, so what is centering prayer for those who aren't aware of it? Sure. So centering prayer um, is two things. It's, it's, it is meditation, but it's also considered, so it's, it's silent, wordless prayer. So it's meditation and a relationship with God. And um, it's been around since the early 1970s. It was created in, in the early 1970s by three Trappist monks. They saw transcendental meditation and other forms of meditation happening, and they wanted something for the Christian community. And, and one of the priests, William Manager, kind of discovered the method in, in a, I think it's a 14th century book called The Cloud of Unknowing. So he discovered kind of the method of, of centering prayer. So it's been around for 50 years. And then about 10 years after it was created, the Contemplative Outreach Organization was created in 1984. And they have a website, uh, contemplativeoutreach.org. And it's really the main centering prayer organization with a ton of resources regarding centering prayer. And then there's groups that practice in the various states right now, mostly probably via Zoom, but prior to COVID in actual you know, buildings or, or, or churches. Mm -hmm. And it's internationally, so there's, there's, there's groups all over the world. You could go on that site and find a group anywhere in the U.S. and, and in many different countries inter internationally. So that's just a little bit of the background and how old it is and when it cre was created. And then I guess I'll answer your question is, you know, what is centering prayer and how do you... It's simply silent, wordless prayer. So to begin your silent sit, you sit comfortably, close your eyes, and then to start your sit you interiorly, interiorly think about a, a sacred word. So it could be love, a, a two, a one two, or two syllable word. It could be love, ocean, God, Jesus. You introduce that word and, and, and purpose of it is just you're consenting to the presence and actions of God within and beginning your prayer time. And then whenever you engage your thoughts, and what I mean by that is whenever you begin thinking about what you did before your sit or, or you begin thinking about what am I going to do after my sit and, you realize you're not sitting with God or sitting with life. You're sitting with yourself and your thoughts and your planning. So then you reintroduce that sacred word hmm. to let go of your thoughts, engage thoughts, and come back to the present moment and the purpose of your sit, of, of just sit with God and open to the presence and actions of God with, within. And you do that when needed. So it's not used as a mantra. It's just used when you find you're engaging your thoughts. And then you simply let go of your engaged thoughts and then let go of the sacred word again as well. So that's basically what centering prayer is. And, and you can do it really as long as you want. If you're new to it, you probably start with five minutes or so. Um, but I've, most people then like to increase the length of their sits over time to 10, 15, or 20 minutes. But that's essentially the history, a little bit of the history of centering prayer and, and how you do it. So is the main difference between centering prayer and transcendental meditation or other forms of Eastern meditation primarily the intent behind it, or are there practical differences as well? 
Yes, yeah, so I would say the intent is it's, you know, the, the purpose is we're opening to the press, or we believe we're opening to the presence and actions of God within. So we think of it as prayer. We think of it as just another way to, to um, develop our relationship with God or go deeper in our relationship with God, which is beyond words um, and thoughts. I mean, if, if, even if you think about it, if you're with a friend and you're taking a walk or, you're, or a significant other, you don't always have to be talking. You're just with that person sitting on a porch look, or, or taking a walk or soaking in a neat scene if you're on vacation, looking at a beautiful scene. So, or even watching a movie, you're not always talking with whoever you're with. So it's kind of this similar thing. You're, you're sitting with God. Um, and I'm not saying give up those other forms of prayer. You know, you may have verbal prayer and other ways you pray. Don't give those up. Just consider uh, this type of prayer as, a, as another way to be with God and beyond thoughts and, and words. You mentioned contemplative prayer. Now, that particular like form of prayer or, yeah, I guess form is probably the, the, a good way to describe it. That goes back, I mean, to Plato. And it was practiced in the early church. And, and so I, I would say that the 1970s is a bit recent for this to have been developed. Is there something significantly different between traditional contemplative prayer and this form that you practice? I would say probably not. So centering prayer itself, the idea of centering prayer, and then actually, you know, creating a website and then, and then, and all the Mm. books and different things that spawned from it since, since the seventies, but no, you're right. Can silent prayer in any, in any form, which, perhaps even just wasn't named centering prayer, but mm-hmm. looked like centering prayer or, or had similarities to it has been around. You could argue all the way back to Jesus going off to be alone by himself. We, we don't yeah. know exactly how he prayed, but we surmise sometimes he, he wasn't talking. He was just sitting with God and then right, the desert mothers and fathers in the third and fourth centuries and all the way up to, the, so there was always some type of contemplative prayer practice, whether it's mantra based or, or whether it's, breathing-based or using the Jesus prayer. So yes, contemplative prayer has been around going back to it. If you don't, if you don't want to believe Jesus did it, you can at least trace it back to the you know, third and fourth centuries, I guess, with the desert mothers and fathers. Are most of the people who you work with Protestant or do you have a sort of interdenominational, inter-schism, I guess, clients? Interdenominational, all, all, all different kinds of folks um, I've, I've worked with. I've, I've worked, because I guess the people I've worked with tend to fall into three groups that they're either brand new to centering prayer and want help and don't think that if they'll do it well on their own, they, they, or they don't think they'll have the discipline and they want someone to sort of dis, help discipline them to start their practice and keep it up. And then the second group of people that I work with are they have been practicing, but they want to perhaps add a second sit and struggle with adding a second sit, or they want to go deeper in their practice and kind of discover who is their true self and who's this person God wants them to be and explore more of that. And then the third group are, are clergy, and, and it's been various clergy. I've had Catholic priests and, I, and I've had Protestant you know, pastors, and they say, they'll come to me saying they do a terrible job of their own self-care and they're taking care of others, but not themselves. So they come to me and simply want some help with doing a better job with self-care because they know if they don't do that, they're going to burn out. And and, and they want help with just either making their practice more daily or even just beginning a practice. But no, people of many different faiths have come to me. So not necessarily just Catholic, even though it was created by Catholics, 
many different groups, Protestants, Catholic, um, any type of denomination has come to be. Have you noticed by chance an upswing in Orthodox people in the last, say, year or so? I've had some interactions with a few folks. I had one gentleman that has a, he has a center in prayer group, and I knew that that is the church he attends um, just from talking with him. So I guess I can't say I've come across many people in that matter, but I did come across one gentleman that that is the type of church he, he attended. Cool. I was just curious. In the kind of in the circles that I run in. So this isn't like a Christian podcast per se, and it's not a libertarian podcast per se, but it has a lot of both of those kind of themes running through it. And in the particular like circles that I run in, in libertarianism, it seems like every day somebody new is like converting to Eastern Orthodoxy. So I was wondering if that was a bigger cultural trend than within just (laughs) the, the sort of like libertarian Christian milieu. So speaking of the fact that it's not a Christian podcast, does this uh, translate well into people who might be atheist or agnostic or just sort of apathetic spiritually? I mean, can everybody benefit from this or is it specifically a Christian practice? No, I would would say anyone can. And that's actually the neat thing about the Contemplative Outreach, which is the organization I mentioned. They do a lot of interfaith work and a lot of uh, communications and talks with various, various faiths which is a neat thing to see. So I would say anyone can practice centering prayer. I mean, you come as you are to your, to your centering mm-hmm. prayer, sit and open to the presence and actions of whatever you want to call it, whether it's God or life or the universe or, or your higher power. Different people I talk to will call God different things, higher yeah. power, infinite wisdom. So no, I, for I think anyone can come to centering prayer as you are and just let go of your notions of God, or even if you don't believe in God, you can sit and do this practice and, and just see what happens. So it's, it's not just a Christian practice. Anybody can practice it and see what happens. So how can someone who's interested in this, but not interested enough to buy a book and, you know, obviously everyone buy his book, but how can someone get started before it arrives from Amazon even? Sure. Well, on my website, I have a Center in Prayer page. So it really discusses. So if you come to my website and, and subscribe, I have a short, it's about 10, 10 page PDF that talks about Center in Prayer. And it really has a question at the top of each page and then it answers the question. So the kind of some common questions that will help people with what is Center in Prayer and how do you do it and when do you do it and what might be some of the benefits. And then it kind of ends with what are some next steps. So I think that might be a good start is to, is to come to my website, look at the Center in Prayer page, which shares the steps, and then also get my free ebook, which is a quick read. I, th- I think they could probably get through it in five five or 10 minutes maximum. And then they could just try this type of practice for themselves um, for a couple of weeks to a month and see if it resonates with them. In Centering Prayer, does posture matter? I would say yes and no. And I'll explain. So yes, in that some people... Um, so yes, they, generally you want to sit comfortably in it. You could sit in a chair that has arms, or you could just sit in a chair that doesn't, and just kind of put your hands on your on your um, on your thighs, and just sit comfortably, and just maybe let your head drop a little bit. But some people have neck problems and back problems, so I know people that practice on their backs, and I and I've practiced on my back. So I, I think as long as you're not falling asleep, if you're mm-hmm. if you find you're falling asleep, then maybe you need to reconsider your position. But 
I know people that practice sitting and I know people that practice lying on, on their back as well and, and, and kind of reap the same benefits. I think we come as we are exactly how we are. And if our bodies require us to lie down because of neck issues or back issues, then certainly lie down. <laughs> I, one, of, one of my favorite scenes from the show, Parks and Recreation, it was when Chris Traeger, who's sort of this hippie vegan, you know, TM practitioner, et cetera, et cetera, drug Ron Swanson, who's this kind of right-wing anti-government you know, tough guy who only eats meat, that kind of thing. And he dragged him to a TM sitting and, and, and Ron refused to sit down. First of all, he just stood on the cushion. And so Chris is sitting there meditating for like an hour, struggling through it, et cetera, et cetera. And after it, he asked Ron what he thought. And Ron was like, Oh, I, I didn't think about anything. My mind was completely clear you know, I didn't get anything out of this. And so Chris, who understood my mind is completely clear. And I, I, I thought about nothing. <laughs> he understood Ron as this like Zen master who unintentionally became a Zen master. So I guess leading into that, does centering prayer have that in common with like Zen, where it's sort of about clearing your mind and attempting to not experience anything? Or is it different? I mean, I maybe I have a mischaracterization of what Zen meditation is too. So I mean, in, in that, with that description, I would say it's similar because with centering prayer, you're, you're letting go of any thoughts you engage. So you're, tr- you're just trying to be mm-hmm. present in the moment and not think about anything. Or I think of it as you're, you're going to the places between your thoughts, but then obviously you don't, you don't even know you went in between your thoughts until you have a thought, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. essentially you're, you're letting go of all thoughts and just opening to, to, the present moment, opening to God, or I think of it as I'm opening to God and, and letting God pray in me at a deeper level. And it's just a continuous return to the present moment and letting God act in me and letting God pray in me at a deeper level. And I notice it outside of my sit. You, you notice fruits of the practice outside of your sit. So it, I guess they, it sounds like they could be very similar in terms of if you're letting go, clearing the clutter, clearing your monkey mm-hmm. mind. And, and obviously it's impossible to clear it. You're just letting go of it. And, and you may continuously be letting go of it during your prayer. More often, it, sometimes you, you might find you're racing your whole time. Your thoughts are racing. Other times you may, you may, and I've had times where I feel like the bell rings and I don't know where I went and I knew I wasn't sleeping. So I was able to clear the clutter better in some sits versus, uh, versus other sits. I know there are some like meditation apps that will play music or, or, and obviously I'm getting like guided meditation is not, is not centering prayer. That's different. But what about it? Like, is there benefit in having soft music playing or maybe like a babbling brook or, you know, whatever the sound effect is that helps someone kind of relax or is it supposed to be completely silent? No, I mean, I think it's okay. And it depends upon your setting. Like if you're, we generally try to be in a, in a quiet, distraction-free setting. So some people are, are in noisier settings, whether there's, if they're in the city and there's either hunking horns or, or things going on and it's too much of a distraction for them, that type of a white noise, many people will put like a white noise, oh, as cool. you're mentioning, in the background. I, I would say as long as you're not, as long as you're using it as white noise, to create that distraction-free environment. If, you, if you're using the white noise to enjoy the white noise, then, then, then you might want to reconsider okay. the, white, the white, either eliminating it or finding a white noise that you're not enjoying too much. You, know? <laughs> you mentioned earlier the fruits of the centering prayer. What are, what are some of the fruits? 
Sure. I mean, I think, and, I mean, the one thing is they're kind of unique for each practitioner. So we, we come to our sits really with no expectations other than in my case, I come to my sit and many center center and prayer practitioners will tell you the same. We just simply come to our sits because we sit with God and we want to trust God and, and we want to let God heal us and transform us and do what God needs to do. So outside of our practice, we notice the, how things have changed as we continue our practice. So for me, if I look at my life pre-centering prayer and, and post-centering prayer, I, I am different. I'm, I'm a more excited person to live life. Um, I, I think I'm more present and in, in the present moment and, and with people in conversations instead of planning what I'm going to say and more willing just to see, see the situation for what it is and enjoy it. I'm a more confident person and I'm more willing to kind of get out of my comfort zone and try and do new, new things. So these are, and then I seem to have wisdom will pop into my head for tasks that have eluded me. You know, I'll be dropping my daughter off. She works at the local Wawa one Saturday. I was dropping her off and I'm driving home and, and a, and a solution to a task that I couldn't figure out at work popped into my head. Um, so that type of stuff is what I've noticed. And I think if you ask other people that practice centering prayer, or for that matter, any type of meditation or contemplative prayer, they may share with you, you know, how their long-term practice has, has seemed to change them as well. So I think I understand like why it would, uh, help you be more patient with people and, and more patient in conversation. You mentioned that you're not sitting there waiting for your next turn to talk, but you're actually engaged with the conversation partner. Where do you think the openness to new experiences and the openness to, you know, doing more exciting things comes from? That's a pretty big personality shift, especially like if you're introverted or if you're a creature of habit. Sure. So for me, I I think it's because if you think about, um, Centering prayer, the purpose is to let go of your thoughts. We we tell ourselves things that are just not true. We tell mm. ourselves, I'm the wrong person for this. Someone else is better suited. I'm too young. Someone older with more experience should try it. Or I'm too old. Someone younger should be doing <laughs> this. Or this just scares the heck out of me. I'm not going to do it. You, you learn to let go of, during centering prayer, this posture of letting go starts coming with you into everyday life. So when the, you have these thoughts, you then let go of them and say, no, that, that isn't me. I, I, if I'm thinking this, I am the right person for this and, and I need to try it. And even if it scares the heck out of me, that's okay. I just need to know, you know the next step. I don't, maybe I want to have, have an end goal in mind and I don't know how I'm going to get there, but maybe I know the next step and then I can just keep taking next steps. So that's at least for me is what I've noticed. It's, I think I've a lot of the noise in my head I've been able to let go of and try and do new things, even though they scared, scared the heck out of me. <laughs> do you think that it has effects professionally? Oh yeah. I mean, I would say for me, I mean, it, 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 it impacts me at my everyday job. I'm, I'm just a more confident person. I interact with uh, corporate accounts. I'm, I'm more confident with myself on the phone or we do, we do a lot of teams work. I'm just more confident with myself as I talk to, to my clients and, and as I talk to my peers at work and as I talk to you know, management above me. I, I definitely feel pre and post centering prayer. I'm just more calm and confident in myself. And even if I don't know an answer, I'm not afraid to tell them I don't have an answer, but I will get you an answer. So so yes, it translates, you know, it for me is translated into the work I'm doing with my website and it clearly has translated into my work and everyday interactions with my clients because I'm just a calmer, more present, 
more confident um, person. For me, two areas where I really struggle are time management. So like personal discipline and my physical health, you know, making time to go to the gym, choosing nutritious food over junk food, that kind of thing. So, I mean, really what it is is personal discipline. Do you think that a centering prayer practice helps with that kind of thing as well? I would, like particularly with the time management, because if you think about, again, centering prayer, it helps you let go. So my, my letting go I do outside of centering prayer has helped me with my everyday tasks at work. I, I have a need to do list that sometimes looks like a mile long, and, mm-hmm. but I can, let, I can look at it and say, these are five things that I need to do today. And now I need to let go of these 20 because they don't have to happen today. So yeah. just let them go. Don't get, don't get anxious. Don't get worried. So I would say, yes, it definitely has helped me. And, and another thing that has helped me is, you know, I do two sits a day. So I start my day with a centering prayer sit. And that just, for me, resets me, regrounds me and gets me going. And then no matter how busy I am, I, I take a second sit right before lunch. Mm. And I find that the second half of the day, I'm amazed at how productive I am. And I attribute it to my second sit. So I encourage people, people will say, I don't have time for a sit. And it has a way of giving you back time because, because you, you need to kind of refill your restaurant, so to speak, and, and reconnect with life and, and, and re, you know, come back to the present and get rid of, let go of your anxiety over the second half of the day. So for time management, it has been very helpful in my job. Um, and then in terms of, I guess, going to the gym, I guess, and, and that can be tough because I go to the gym and I enjoy going to the gym and I, I go with a friend and, and, or, and or I go by myself. So when I'm going, obviously, with a friend, that's someone we kind of both can spur each other on and we talk and work out. When you're going by yourself, then it becomes more of a discipline. And that's where I take my iPhone with me and I listen to podcasts. And I listen to mm-hmm. audio books. So I, I use it as time to not just consider exercise time, but kind of learning time for me as well. Does your sit, your your morning sit take place before anything else, before you check your email, check your Twitter or whatever else happens in the morning for you? Yes. So it's really the first yeah. thing I do. So as I get up, I, I, I go right into my first centering prayer sit. I, and I usually kind of have a, have a, a quick ritual. I, and I, I call some people, I encourage people maybe have bookends, make it fun and put some structure around your sit. So before my centering prayer sit, I either listen to a short, video, or I read a short few pages from a book, or I have, I'm a big believer in affirmations, you know, single sentence statements of things I want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I'll read them and then let them go to God and, and do my sit. So you can do something right before your sit for a few minutes, do your sit. And then after my sit, I usually read for about five minutes from a current book that I'm reading. And then after that, I begin my day. Is that but a yes. book or is it like a spiritual book, generally speaking? It's any any book. So any book okay. that I'm currently reading, it doesn't have to be related to uh, spirituality or centering prayer. It's just a book that I decided I wanted to read. So I, I'll read sure. from it right after my sit. Great. I'm really big on developing a morning routine because right now I don't I don't have much of one. I'm developing one though, and it's kind of happening organically, which I like. It's a little bit better than developing a checklist for me because otherwise. Like if I had to discipline myself to do it, then it's not going to work. But so my morning routine, like I wake up, I take my dog out to pee, I make my coffee, I come in the office, I use an app for meditation called I Awake, and then I journal. And then not until then do I start reading emails and turning on podcasts and stuff. And I've noticed that when I follow that routine, I'm much more productive. 
The problem is, like, for instance, last week, I was so swamped with work that I allowed myself to stop doing that, that ritual. The dishes in the kitchen went unwashed. I was constantly harried at work. I was staying up till one o'clock in the morning, which then waking up at my normal time, like 6.45. So I was sleep deprived, all of that stuff. So when I think when I needed it most, I let my morning routine fall by the wayside. Have you ever experienced that? Or do you know people who have? And do you have advice for making sure that a stressful week doesn't make the sort of morning ritual become an afterthought? Right. No, I mean, unfortunately, I think it really just comes down to making yourself do it, whether you want to do it or not. Mm -hmm. And I'll even tell people with centering prayer, you might think, I don't want to show up or I'm too busy to show up. Well, that's just a thought and just let go of it and show up anyhow. And that's okay. It's, it's part of the process. So even in your case, it's, it's, it's part of the process. So you really do have to discipline yourself just to show up. Obviously, if you don't show up one day, then, then you want to just forgive yourself, not beat yourself up, and then really try to show up the next day. And, and you're right. I mean, you, when you get away from your routine, you notice it, it, it hurt you and, and it, it was something you needed and it really set you up for success to begin your day. So um, I guess it really does come down to discipline, just making, making yourself do it whether you want to do it, letting go of the idea of I don't want to do it and showing up and doing it anyhow. <laughs> How long are your two sits? Do you like set a timer or is it just as long as they need to last? So they're generally 20 minutes each. So I, I use an app. It's called the Contemplative Outreach has, has an app. And then you can set a, a timer that is like a bell that rings to begin your sit and then a bell that rings to end it. So I set the timer for 20 minutes. But People can do what they want. I mean, I would say any any amount of silence is better than no silence. And there are times where, my, like the first one will be 20 minutes and my second sit might be seven or, or 10 minutes as well. But I, as much as possible, I try to do two sits of 20 minutes. The first one in the morning is probably mostly 20 minutes. And then sometimes my second sit one will vary from seven to 20 minutes depending upon the day, but I, I don't skip the second sits. And then sometimes I'll have a third sit and, and it's just a five or seven minute sit. I just feel mm -hmm. like I need one. It's been a tough day. And I think I just need to take a, a pause at, at three o'clock in the afternoon and just take a seven minute sit and then go back to work. So yesterday, like yesterday I did that. I, I did three sits and I did a third sit of seven minutes, just around three o'clock. At this point, are you working in an office or from home? I'm working from home. I've been working with COVID. I've been, I guess we've been working from home uh, since yeah. March of 2020. But even when I was in the office, and, and I guess that's, then that can be hard. You'd have like at, at work. So obviously my first sit was in the morning anyhow. So that was mm -hmm. before I arrived in the office. My second sit, I, I just would do it in my car. I actually would just oh, okay. walk to my car and pretty much year round, I was able to do it because in the winter, I would, I would just warm the car up. I didn't leave it running, but I would turn it on for five minutes and get it warm enough in the car. And it was warm enough for me. And then I would turn it, turn the engine off and then do my sit in the car. So I, that's where I did my second sit when I was working in the office. I would just walk to my car and sit in the driver's seat. And, and that's where I did the sit. So you can be creative with it. If you want to do a second sit and you're at work, you can do it in your car as well, you know, weather dependent. Obviously, sure. it was super hot. But even then, I, I, I've probably, I was able to park in more of under a tree and, and, mm. and open the windows. If it was in the high 90s, I 
that's one of I wasn't doing a sit and I didn't really want my car running. So that's probably the only time. But most of the time, even if into the mid to high 80s, I still could do a sit in my car under under the shade of a tree and be okay. Sure. And I'm sure there's other places too. I mean, you could even just go to a Starbucks bathroom and put in put in some earbuds with white noise plan if you if you were desperate. The subtitle of your book, so your the full title is Sitting with God, a journey to your true self through centering prayer. Talk about the true self. What do you think that is? Sure. So for me, uh, the true self is the person God wants me to be. Um, and that's what you do during centering prayers. You, you let go of who you think you are, or, or, and many times who you, who you think it's impossible for you to be, because we, again, as I said, we tell ourselves things that are really just not true. So for me, my true self is the person God wants me to be, and centering prayer helps me connect to this person because it helps me let go of all the thoughts I tell myself that aren't true so that I can then hone in and focus on the things that are going to be helpful for me um, in moving forward and getting out of my comfort zone. Do you think there's a difference between what God wants you to be and what God wants you to do? Are those two different things or is one sort of, does one sort of encompass the other? Well, be, uh, or you can think of as be might be the end result and do is where here are some things you need to do to get to get there. But I would also say my true self is, is not an end point. It's, it's a journey. So it's not once I, I haven't arrived, I'm, I'm continuously on my true self journey because what does God want me to do today? What are the actions I should be doing today will be different from the next day and the next day. So for me, my true self is is a journey, not not an end point. And so how do you discern what it is that you believe God wants you to do and what it is that is just you yourself, like through your own desires, want to do or be? Sure. For, for me, and it's worked for me, I have my true, I'll call it my true self barometer. Um, it has a couple of things. It's Because I mentioned earlier, I, I have uh, affirmations that are, in my life. And they're usually around my health and my physical fitness and finances and my job and, and my work with silence teachers. So they're single sentence statements of things I want to do. I, and then I let them go to God during centering prayer. And then they, they stick as affirmations. If, you know, one, I have an inner peace and calm about them. I have an excitement about them. They don't harm me or harm others. And even though they may scare me, I, I realize that you know they get me out of my comfort zone. So as long as they kind of hit all of that criteria, I, they remain. Sometimes they get tweaked, but that, but once you know they're harming me or harming others, and then they really doesn't make sense because I don't want to do something that's going to harm me or harm others. Sure. Or if I'm just not excited about it anymore, and it had and that had nothing to do, and me and I have to be honest with myself, it had nothing to do with me being scared to do it. It was just that you know what I'm I'm not feeling inner peace about this anymore, then I, then, it, then that gets removed as, as well. Or maybe it just gets postponed and, and something else is probably more important to do. And I can come back to it, you know, in a couple months down the road. So that's, that's how I've kind of worked through with my, that my, I'll call it my true self barometer that, that I kind of use on a daily basis. I like that. Do you, would you be willing to share some of your affirmations? Sure. Let me, uh, I'll just pull up. I put them in my iPad and I, I, I read them multiple times a day. Pick one that may, may make more sense. Um, I mean, one of them is a simple statement, but I got, I got the idea from a book I read and the, and the book gave me, I say I'm a radically generous entrepreneur. entrepreneur. Oh, cool. 
and I, and I think of it as, you know, we're not in this alone. You know, we, we can try to do things alone, but you're better off helping others. So what, what I mean by that, I'm a radically generous entrepreneur is, you know, other people have helped me and I also need to help others. So it's, it's not hard to find someone that's a few steps behind you and help them in some matter, whether that's mm-hmm. an introduction to someone that can help them or getting them on a podcast or if they're trying to publish a book, uh, introduce them to my to my editor and see if if they can talk and see if there's a fit. So that that's an example of one affirmation I have where I like to read it and just remind myself that you know I should try to take some action on. Like I can easily think about who my who who do I have some interaction with as, as I'm doing some of my work and how can I help them with with you know a single point of contact or introducing them to someone or sharing something with them that I know can help them. So that's. I guess one example of that I have. So Jason Stapleton, whose interview on this show is immediately preceding yours. So hopefully mm-hmm. the audience will will be able to understand what I'm talking about since they just listened to the, the previous episode. Jason Stapleton talks about something called future casting, where he phrases his goals, his long-term goals, the big ones, as if they're present realities. So like, you know, I have enough income to travel whenever I want without like concern for the cost, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Would that be considered a type of affirmation within the centering prayer realm? Or is this more about like personality rather than goals, I guess? No, I would say so because I, I do the same thing. I, I set goals and some of them are, are, are maybe a little bit outrageous, but you, you kind of have to be outrageous. You know? sure, yeah, like, yeah. I, like I'll say, I'll have a thousand views per day on my website or I, or I have a goal of I'll, I'll have, because I do coaching that I'll have at least four, complimentary coaching sessions each month. So no, I, I do I do a lot of the same things with setting goals that are a little bit more aggressive and speaking them because a lot of times if you keep speaking it, it's top of your mind and then you start seeing things and doing things. So no, I, 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 I many of my goals really are future oriented. You know, I talk cool. about how many reviews I want on my book or how many readers I want on Goodreads. They're always higher numbers. And then when I reach that number, I change it. So my, the goal stays, but I just keep changing the, the numbers so that I'm constantly growing and expanding. So no, I can, I completely agree with that approach because that's, that's exactly what I do with my affirmations. Great. So it's not just affirmations and like the Stuart Smalley, I'm good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, right, people right. like me. These are actually things that you would like to see come to fruition in your life and not just kind of woo woo. Right. They have, I mean, they have data points behind them where, you know, I say I'll have a thousand views per day or I have one for for a weight, you know, I'll be at 169 pounds. I'm a couple, I'm like five pounds above that where I'll be at 169 pounds. So no, mine are, there's, there's numbers behind, actually many of these have numbers behind them. They're not just, they're not just woo woo. They have a number. Like I want to sell this amount of books. I want to have this number of readers. I want to have this number of book reviews. I want to have this number of complimentary coaching sessions. I want to have this number of coaching clients. So most of them have a, have a number associated with them. Awesome. That's fantastic. So how does this differ from like prosperity gospel or the secret or something like that? I would imagine that hearing that people would equate mm-hmm. the two. I, I guess for me, it's because I'm partnering with God. So it's not, I'm not coming to God and saying, give me, give me, give me. I'm, yeah. I'm coming to God <laughs> saying, 
does this make sense? Like, here are things that I want to do, but I don't want to do them if it's just rich saying them. I, I want to make sure that together, yeah. this is something we should be partnering on. So for me, and that's important to me, that's, that's why I, I have them in front of me frequently and I bring them to my center in prayer sits and let them go because I want to feel good about them and I want to mm. feel like this is God and I partnering on them, not rich making a decision and, and maybe God thinking, I don't think so. <laughs> that's really cool. That actually speaks to a kind of side project that I've been thinking about and kind of putting into something like a framework. There's another guy in the sort of libertarian-ish spaces that I that I run in. His name's Matt Erickson. And one of the things that he says a lot is liberty or freedom is not something that you ask for. So like being a political libertarian, as far as he's concerned, is a bit of an oxymoron because liberty or freedom is something that you create for yourself. And what that brought to mind for me is that, you know, we're, if I'm going to create the best life for myself, whatever it looks like, I kind of have to be a co-creator. I don't really know where I'm at as far as like what my theology is, what my belief as far as the creator is, but I do believe that there is a creator. And if I'm going to be a creative, whatever that means, whether it's a, whether it's an artistic person or a person who creates my own life, I have to partner with the creator. So that's pretty cool. That's affirming to me that, that you said that. Great. Great. Just because I, I think co-creator is the sort of angle that I'm going for with, with that and audience more on that in the next year or so, probably because I'm super busy. All right. Well, as we sort of wind down, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would love to talk about? No, I would just encourage, you know, if people want to know, well, how do I start a practice? I would just yeah. encourage people, you know, take baby steps. And I guess the first thing I would say is make it the first thing you do to begin your day. That's, that, that's probably the, perhaps the easiest way to do it is be, make it the first thing you do before you do anything, perhaps make it even just five minutes and then get up and, and, and resume your day and then slowly increase it, hopefully maybe from five to 10 to 15 or 20 minutes and, and maybe even add other things to that time, whether it's journaling or, or whatever you want to do. So just take baby steps, but I guess have the discipline to try it and make it the first thing you do to, to begin your day rather than sporadically doing it whenever each day. You're, you're not, it's not going to happen. I think you got to just create a, create a habit first thing in the day. I think checking Twitter or email or God forbid the news, the very first thing in the morning is one of the most toxic habits I ever got into. And I'm so glad that I've stopped doing that at the very least. Cool. Well, thank you so well, much. Can I Rich. say this... one last thing? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I would say, and even end, and think about how you can end your day. So I begin my day with a centering prayer sit. And mm -hmm. for me, it's just been a tremendous benefit in my life. And then I try to end my day. For me, I ended on my knees, thanking God. I just look back at the day and say, what am I really thankful for today that happened? And it can be anything, you know, for the wonderful cup of coffee. I love coffee that I had for the time I had to sit with my wife and talk just for the walk I had with my kid or something. I, I just like to reflect back. What did I really enjoy? And just speak it out loud. And then I go to bed because I'm going to bed with gratitude and, and sleeping with gratitude and, and hopefully waking up with gratitude. So you know, maybe start your day with a, with a silent prayer practice, even if it's five minutes, and then end your day with gratitude. Real quick. So when you said you speak it out loud, is there benefit in speaking it out loud rather, rather than just saying it in your head, do you think? I think there is because I think when you speak, it's more powerful. I mean, obviously, if you have goals and you speak it, 
you can kind of speak it into creation, so to speak. So I just think there's power with hearing words and, and saying things. So, and you don't have to be loud with it, but it's, it's easy. It's not hard just to say, I'm thankful for today. I had a great cup of coffee with my wife. I had a really nice walk with, with my child. I had a nice interaction with a friend that I haven't talked to in a while. So I think there's something about speaking it out loud that, that is different from them just thinking it in, in your head. But journaling also, you mentioned you journal, is very powerful. And that's something I'd like to do more of. You could even journal it. I think you've, I think when you're just putting it out on paper or speaking it, it's more powerful than just okay. leaving it in your head. It takes physical form. Right. It takes, right, exactly. All right, cool. Why don't you go ahead and tell people where they can find you? I'm going to definitely link to your website, which is one more time. Sure. The best place to find me is just silenceteaches.com. I have, as I mentioned earlier, there's a free ebook on my site for those that want to just learn more about it. And then if they want to further explore, they they can check out my book, which is also on on my website as well. So silenceteaches.com is the best place to find me and learn more about me and Centering Prayer. Okay, perfect. Thanks a lot, Rich. Sure. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks again to Rich for joining me today. Thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. If you haven't already done so, head to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. Leave an honest rating, but if it's five stars, even better. I know I read all of them. I don't read them on the air because I think that's kind of overdone. If that's something that appeals to you, if you'd like for me to read your review on the air, then by all means, let me know that too. When you go to blackbirdpodcast.com and sign up with your email address, you can reply to any of the emails that you receive, and those will come straight to my inbox. So once again, blackbirdpodcast.com to sign up with your email address and iTunes to leave me a great review. And with that, this is another episode of Blackbird in the Can. I'll see you on the next one. And until then, live free. 